Now, can I ask, as we begin, whether you like your sermons on a Sunday to be exciting? Um, Is exciting good? Um, I guess no one wants them to be boring, exactly, but exciting. I was once in a car um, where a passenger said, look, just drop me at the next services and I'll phone someone else to come and get me. I'm not telling you whether I was the driver or not, but um, on reflection, that was a journey that was too exciting. Um, So look down in Ephesians, look at particularly what's coming for us next week, and you think, surely next week's sermon is going to be exciting. So we've got, after verse 10, struggle and war against Satan and swords and armor and the flaming arrows of the spiritual forces of evil. So perhaps you just, you know, you need to get through the boring stuff this week about children and parents and then sort of wake up for the excitement next week. Except, of course, that the two weeks are linked. The armour of God in chapter 6, that is the conclusion and the summary of this whole letter that we've been looking at for, for many weeks, spread out over a couple of years. And what we have this morning, it is the, the here of the spiritual battle. It is the, the battlefield. And we said last week there's a, a pattern in the section that we're in. So 5 verse 21 tells every Christian to submit to every other Christian. And then Paul works through three relationships in particular. And in his world, they all take place within the extended household. That is where you find wives and husbands. That's where children and parents have to work that out. And that's where most people's workplaces were. Um, With household slavery, sadly, the experience of many and actually of very many Christians. So the difficult, frustrating daily life within marriage and home and work, um, that is the the battlefield. And often we we cut those bits out and sort of divorce them from the exciting bits of the letter. Um, As a a teenager, I got the the message that it was sort of sorry about the um, the boring grind of living with your mum and living for Jesus. But don't worry, because there is also the excitement of spiritual warfare. When I was young, um, we read this book when I was a teenager. Anyone else? Shout out to the camera. Anyone else read that book? Um, And uh, it's a novel, but it's where my generation, I think, learned about spiritual excitement. There are um, angels with flaming swords chopping up a red-winged demon by page four. Um, And, uh, you know, the idea is that's what's really going on underneath small-town life. Um, But really... The the household stuff, it is where you do the exciting bits of the letter. So um, what we have here, if we put it in its context, um, the first week in January, I think it was, Luke um, told us we don't need New Year's resolutions as Christians because God has made us whole new creations. And then next week, we're going to get to the, the battle with Satan. But this week is the battlefield. So really, um, there's a summary of these few chapters of Ephesians. We are new, Christi- new creations on the front line. Um, and that's a, a line that I've stolen, really, from Mark Green of the LICC. Uh, he uses it as a way of thinking about your daily work. He says, what is your front line? Um, you're a new creation. That's exciting. You're in a spiritual battle with Satan, that's terrifying. And the front line is whether you remember to send your mum some flowers today. 
Um, but let me remind you, um, church is not like uh, the soldiers' mess where everyone comes to boast about how well they did. Church is like the field hospital where the wounded soldiers come to bind up their wounds with brothers and sisters before heading back out to the front line. And actually, um, if you did forget to get your mums and flowers, we've got your back. There'll be some flowers for you uh, on your way out um, just to help. So um, we're going to look at two relationships today, child parent and slave master. How should we live as new creations on those front lines? And first of all, children, as if for your goods. As if for your goods. Um, Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So the mutual submission of all Christians to each other, when you apply it to Christian children with their parents, it looks like obedience, which I think is as shocking as what we saw last week. It's just that um, actually there are fewer children uh, in the room to hear it and more parents you know, who are nodding along going, yes, absolutely. I think in our London culture, everything tells a teenager that their chief goal in life is independence and freedom, doesn't it? Uh, for the last hundred years, actually, in our culture, we've accepted a bargain where we will trade almost anything for freedom. So poverty or misery or danger, but with freedom is good. No questions asked. Or safety, contentment, and satisfaction. But without freedom, bad. No questions asked. But Paul reaches back um, actually over a thousand years before his time to the Ten Commandments to ask, what if you chose what was most for your good? Obey, honour your mum and dad. Actually, not for their sake here but so that it would go well with you, um, the good life, the well life. Now, just like last week, there are some important qualifications that need to be set. Uh, Nothing here in Ephesians says that children need to submit to abuse from their parents. Um, You do not need to obey if that means that you are not safe. And the the sinful mistreatment of a child, that is not part of life going well. And um, anyone here who thinks they might know of a child who is at risk, um, even if you're not sure, even if you're uncertain, please speak to someone who you trust. And just like um, last year, we pointed out the the posters, which are all around this room, um, with different people who you could contact, including anonymous ways to make contact with people who don't know your parents at all. And actually, if you're listening online to this, um, well then, allsouls.org forward slash safeguarding gets you to all of the same phone numbers. Then also notice what what this passage doesn't uh, say in detail. So it doesn't specify exactly when a child reaches the age that they stop obeying their parents. Do you notice that? So different Christians may disagree on when that point is. I think certainly, biblically, that happens at the point of marriage. So we're told that the husband and the wife, they leave their father and mother. 
to form a new household. That means the relationship changes. So maybe you continue to honour and respect your parents and you try and remember to send flowers on Mother's Day, but you no longer obey. But today, um, far more children than used to live independently and for far longer without being married. And I would suggest that the relationship changes at the point of independence. Um, But even that isn't always easy to work out. When I was a student worker, I used to have um, 20 of these conversations a year about students. So they're they're not living at home, not entirely independent either. Um, So you have to work out what to do. And the exact uh, point when this changes may vary by um, your home culture in the world. Um, So given the the range of um, different home cultures here in the room, you might like to try this for an exciting uh, conversation starter afterwards. Ask the person next to you, do you think adult children should give money to their parents or parents should give money to their adult children? Um, Such a simple question, uh, but such different answers around the room. Um, Then, of course, notice the the three important words in verse 1. It says, in the Lord. So the authority of the parents, it sits underneath the authority of Jesus, which makes childhood very complicated for the Christian children of non-Christian parents. Okay, so that's some of what these verses are not saying. But all of those qualifications... They don't take away the the confronting command in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, You can think, can't you, of uh, other ways of building a human race. Um, You could get the government to be in charge of everyone's children. You could get the church staff team to be in charge of everyone's children. So the youth worker, the children's worker. But deeply rooted in God's idea as he created human beings is this idea of the family. Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 15 talks about God as the father and says that every family, every bit of human fatherhood and household life derives its name and its reality from him, which means it's about his love and care, his authority. His self-giving character and discipline and commitment and rewards. Now, every person in this room has been a child. And uh, many, many people in this room have been or are trying to be parents. So let me just um, lob up some possible applications for us all then to talk about together afterwards. So first, um, take that teenager with the non-Christian parents. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. So what do you do when uh, your parents say that you can't go to church? Jesus says church, your parents say no. And again, that is a real conversation I've had multiple times with teenagers. So with these verses, you start from the idea that parents are for your good. So meet their good concern for you. So what is their concern? Are they worried that you've joined a cult? uh, Or are they worried that you will fail your exams if you're not working on a Sunday? Those are quite different concerns. Then express your point of view. There's nothing here that says that children cannot express their point of view. Express your point of view together with your commitment as a Christian to obey them. 
And that fact is not, you know, your lawyer is not advising you to keep that secret in the negotiations. And that is a public truth that God thinks is good for everybody, children to obey parents. So maybe you have the conversation like this. Say, well, I, I would like to go to church. Um, I don't think it's a, a cult. They don't tell us what to do and they encourage us to ask questions. And you could come and you could meet the youth leader and check them out if that would help. Uh, or um, maybe you say, well, I would like to go to church. But if you say I can't, then I will respect you and obey you. I won't complain. But I would like to have the conversation again after the summer. So you're trying to balance those two things. Um, you can also then work towards a good outcome. So you could say something like, well, what if, um, what if I dropped Saturday football this year for the whole year and did all my exam work on a Saturday and you could see it? Would you then allow me to go to church on Sunday? And then once um, you know where they are, you can then try to work out how to live for Jesus within the instructions of your parents. So um, Jesus commands us to meet with other Christians. And for most of us, that's costly but but simple. Um, set the alarm clock and show up on Sunday. Um, that's slightly more complicated next week, uh, isn't it? But, um, but basically, that's it. But perhaps for that teenager, you can meet with Christians in ways that your parents would be happy with. Uh, So maybe they hate church, but they love your Christian best friend. Uh, So could you start a a Bible study at her house after school? Uh, Could you even go and listen to sermon recordings and then discuss them before doing all your homework together? Uh, Someone uh, this week pointed out that this is complicated, isn't it, in every single family. And uh, all of us find this difficult. Uh, Someone said if um, all of us really could write our own version of Prince Harry's book, spare. Uh, Couldn't we, if someone offered you $20 million to talk about your family, you could fill a few pages, couldn't you, all of us? Um, Christian families, they are societies of sinners trapped under a single roof for 20 plus years with no training, no selection, and no induction. But, children, it would be better for you if you obeyed your parents. And actually, he doesn't mean through gritted teeth. Uh, I um, I remember one very particular practical sermon when I was a teenager. Um, The vicar leaned out of the pulpit and said, Teenagers, it is okay to hug your mum. Go home and give your mum a hug, which is good advice, isn't it? And I I followed the advice slightly awkwardly, and it was the first time for a while. Um, But only this week, in 2023, did it occur to me to think, how many other teenagers were there in that room? Answer, none. Uh, There wasn't anyone else in that room under the age of 50. Uh, So there is a very particular targeted sermon to me. Um, But being a teenager is difficult, isn't it? Uh, Being a single mum is difficult. I remember very clearly the way that at school I was increasingly being treated like, you know, an adult with responsibility and respect and you go home and it seems like you're stuck being a 10-year-old. Obey and honour so that it may go well with you. And of course, many of us may need to talk together after the service about honouring older parents after we cease to be children in their households. 
Um, so again, talking with students, there are parents who expect to tell students where to live and what job to do and where who to marry. And in my experience, that was normally the Christian parents uh, more than the non-Christian parents. Uh, there are people in their 40s who have to negotiate permission to go to church uh, when they go and stay with their parents or their parents-in-law. Someone this week told me about 20 years of uh, waking hours earlier than the rest of the house so that she could pull her weight in her mother-in-law's kitchen by peeling potatoes so that she could go to church when they stay. Um, and then there are others of us whose parents are seniors now. I'm struck by the video that we saw earlier. Um, it's easier, isn't it, to be moved by a video of a senior ministry, perhaps, than to be moved 129 miles down the M4 to actually go and see my mum. Um, and in some ways, I'm sorry, teenagers, this is bad news for teenagers, but in some ways, um, obey is actually the easy gig. Because at least that's clear, isn't it? But if obey turns into honour as you get older, then that means, um, well, you've got to really listen to the advice, listen to the concerns of a parent, and then you have to go and work out what you're going to do. Uh, even making a decision that they may disagree with and tell you that they do. And then application to parents. Um, notice to fathers specifically in verse 4. And um, just like last week, the, the party submitted to is not told something like this. This is what it does not say. It doesn't say, fathers, make those children obey you. That isn't what it says. That is not advice that Paul thinks fathers will need in general. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So do you see the, the goal change? And the, the goal isn't actually obedient children. I think on Sunday, that's a very big goal, isn't it? Nice, well-behaved children who will sit in the row and smile for everyone else in church. That's not actually the goal. The goal is mature adult Christians. Um, verse 4 includes the, the same word for feeding that we got in chapter 5, verse 29, when we talked about dumplings last week. <coughs> so fathers are to oversee a household where children are fed the instruction about Jesus until they grow up into mature, independent discipleship of him. And the point is that exasperation just doesn't work very well. Um, it, it's hard, isn't it, to be a mum or a dad? Because um, however much you agree with that goal, um, the goal is to have you know, independent adults who can make their own good decisions in the end. It's just that every decision they make every day is wrong. It's the problem, isn't it? How can I let them leave the house with that haircut or with that boyfriend or without their coats? So here are some broader questions uh, for parents. In general... Do my children know that I am pleased with them? Um, do they know that I see that they are trying hard? Um, do they know that I remember what it was like when I used to shout at my mum? And I know what that does and doesn't mean. And also, am I training them in the ways that Jesus trains me? 
In other words, with grace and with mercy and with thanks, alongside calls to repent and change and and with growing freedom alongside the, the boundaries. And also, parents, notice what our children need from us. Uh, what they need from their life inside of your household. Um, and even with the word household on the top, it's actually not the big house uh, or the um, the big holiday, uh, or I was looking for other words that began with H, the, the big horse, um, or, or even the, the big honours degree. Um, the well-fed child is the child with access from their dad specifically to instruction about Jesus. And uh, like in chapter 4, verse 15, it is by speaking the truth in love that we all of us grow up to maturity, taking great um, globs of the Bible and speaking it to each other. Again, that's the purpose of our meeting today. Uh, It's the purpose of coffee afterwards, is that we will speak together and do that to each other. It's also what your household is for. And um, obviously, each household will do this differently, and we'll need to work out what works with our circumstance and the particular age that your children are now, if they're still in your household. But um, just some edges on this. Obviously, you, you need to be at home at a time when your children are awake, if you're going to do this at all. Um, and when you do it, um, you need to make it um, fun and age-appropriate, if you can. And most important of all, you need to stick at this, even when the, um, you know, the lovable little scamps uh, do everything they can to sabotage it. Just as you stuck at them leaving home for school with you know, two matching shoes on the right feet, uh, you stick at it. Now, one thing we're going to do at All Souls to try and help with this is after half-term in June... Um, the whole church is going to be studying the book of James together. So the, the sermons at 9.30, the sermons at 11.30, and the children's groups, and the youth groups, and also there are going to be some Bible study notes to take home, to use at breakfast or at tea time or at bedtime, so that we can be reading James together as a family to get us in the habits. And last things to parents. Um, It's so easy, isn't it, to want lots of good things for our children that are not actually the the best things. Um, One story from within our household, but I've got um, Tom's permission to tell you about one conversation we had. So we'd um, we'd been across to his school for the the pre-GCSEs parents' evening. Okay, so quite a big deal at his school. Um, his school is a, a state school in Hackney where their mission is, I think, to send every child in Hackney to Oxford University. That's the goal. Um, so, so exams are a big deal, um, as they will be for many parents in this room. And um, they laid out their opinion about what it would look like to be um, a child or a student in the, the six months before your GCSEs. And on the way out, Tom said this. He said, um, what they just said which was no social life, uh, no anything else, nothing but exam work from February to June. He said, is it sinful if I don't do that? Um, And uh, praise the Lord, I'd been thinking about this in advance and thinking about what I most want for my children. So I actually said, I said, no, Tom, it's sinful if you do, which is my view. Um, Exams, they are good Uh, If Tom and Ed ever listened to this sermon, do your homework. (laughs) But 
Um, but they can be an idol, can't they? Um, certainly if they stop you coming to church or growing as a Christian or being healthy, seeing your friends, um, it's Jesus first, and then it's living for Jesus on your front line. Well, it's well past time that we come to our second point, uh, which is about slaves and masters. And I think if we were shocked, maybe, that children are not told to seek their freedom from their parents, well, how much more shocked are we here? Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, just as you would obey Christ. It's particularly striking because we know from the rest of the New Testament that Paul does think that slaves should seek their freedom. Uh, One whole letter in the New Testament is Paul writing to a master called Philemon, asking him to set free a runaway slave. Uh, Or in 1 Corinthians, he tells slaves directly, buy your freedom if you can. And we also know that Paul thinks that slavery is evil. Um, There's a, a list in 1 Timothy of those who come under the judgment of God. And in that list, slave traders sit next to those who murder their parents. It's worth remembering, particularly in this, um, do you know it's the anniversary year of when John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace? I think we we forget maybe just how amazing uh, that is. It is amazing, it is astonishing that God could forgive at all someone who made their living out of selling human beings. And it is only because of the death of Jesus in his place that um, previously enslaved abolitionists were able to call John Newton brother and friend after his repentance. And again, we need to say these verses, they have been used in utterly evil ways. Um, It's not true, actually, to say that Christians only recently discovered slavery was wrong. Um, Actually, the early church, the medieval church, they read the Bible and saw that it was Christian to oppose slavery. But there was a a deeply, deeply shameful period in church history, and it was the period when the UK was dominant worldwide, when, in fact, churches owned slaves. Um, Trevor Pierce, who's our our youth worker, he sent me a link to um, our denomination's own report into this. It was published last year, and it, it makes appalling reading. And the church has committed £100 million over the next nine years to try and address the wrongs done. Um, And you may well think um, that that is late. Um, And just final thing to say on this, if you want to be directly involved uh, in this issue, well, then supporting All Souls Serve the City uh, is to support direct work with the many, many slaves who work Um, not somewhere else in the world, but here in Westminster. Uh, Do you know, this is the UK borough with the the greatest problem with sex-trafficked women. Um, And you could directly be involved and help in that. But here in Ephesians, um, in a church where most Christians probably were slaves, uh, and for them, most of them could not change their front line, Um, Paul writes to tell them how to live on that front line. And um, slavery for them, 
actually had a lot more overlap with um, what we call paid employment than many of us might like to admit. So at the time, a very substantial percentage of work was done by slaves, work like um, civil service work, uh, banking work, manufacturing, service industry work. Again, however important you think uh, you are in your job, uh, it may well be that that is where your work belonged in the ancient world. Um, and actually, some in this room um, will be uh, maybe a Singaporean PhD student, um, and you may be on an explicitly bonded funding agreement. But actually, all of us, um, our job is not entirely a thing of freedom. Uh, we need the job to pay the bills, to keep the roof over our heads, um, and freedom isn't entirely the attitude we take to work. Um, But also notice uh, that none of this here says that a Christian should not take advantage of good grievance routes and good legal protections. Um, Those things, they were won for you by Christian campaigners in history, working from Christian values. So we we can take advantage and must. But um, look at the conversation that Paul here is inviting us to have uh, in this room about our different front lines on Monday. And the the central mind shift is this. How would I work if my boss was Jesus? That's the mind shift. Respect and fear just as you would obey Christ. And um, that shift, um, it is terrifyingly broad, isn't it? But also incredibly wonderful. I just want to indicate a few bits in the verses that then we could fruitfully talk about together. So, um, sincerity and respect. Um, what would I say? What would I think about that person, my boss, if she or he was Jesus? And notice verse six. Uh, it's not just when they can see you, it is sincerely. So um, think about all the times when at work we take comfort from the fact that um, she can't see what I'm doing, and uh, she'll never know. She'll never hear about what I didn't do. Well, according to this, your boss is Jesus, and Jesus knows and sees, and every Christian you work for him. Then um, maybe notice the, the salary package in verse 8. Um, Slaves actually did, most of them, get paid uh, then, and some of them saved enough to buy their freedom. But I think you and I, whatever we make of our, you know, miserable inflation pay deal this year, um, we are probably better paid than they were. But this says if you work for Jesus, who sees everything, then you work for the richest and most generous boss in all of the world who is longing to reward each one of us for the work that we do. Isn't that exciting, to work for Jesus? So the the spiritual battle, um, the the warfare against Satan that we'll get to next week, it is not likely, actually, to be about angels with fiery swords appearing to chop up demons in the photocopier room at work. Uh, It is far more likely to be about you actually doing the miserable photocopying in the first place without complaining. Um, just like the, um, the teenager who cleans his room one afternoon may have done more about you know, vanquishing the temptations of Satan in a single afternoon than any number of churches ever did in whatever it is churches do about Satan. And the excitement is that Jesus, he loves to reward and he sees hearts 
And he knows, he sees what your front line is really like and how difficult your boss is actually to live with. And he loves to reward his children. Okay, well, let's just finish the pattern and come to masters. And many of us in this room are masters, even if we don't think of ourselves that way. At least in some parts of our lives, we are in authority over other people who do work for us. And again, notice there is no instruction here to you know, be a big leader or a make that workforce obey you. That is not advice that Jesus thinks masters need in general. It says, treat them the same way as if you worked for Jesus. Specifically, do not threaten. And remember that Jesus is your master and he shows no favoritism. And that, um, that no favoritism phrase, it gives a window, I think, into the bad thinking of the bad Christian boss, doesn't it? So um, if she or he thinks that they can get away with treating human beings badly in ways that they would not actually want Jesus to treat them, well, then they must believe that the judgment court of Jesus is actually a, a lot like the golf club in Hadley Woods. Do you see um, somewhere where, you know, Jesus will sit down with the, um, the CFO of, of Xerox. I don't know why I'm sp- picking on them, um, him or her particularly, but uh, the CFO of Xerox, you know, and they'll have a chat as um, one chief executive to another in the sort of old boys club where everyone understands that you need to cut corners to get results. Do you see the, the terrifying misunderstanding? Uh, in reality, Jesus does not care who you are, uh, master or slave, child or parent. Every one of us called to put on the new self and put on the armor of God's, And every one of us called to live like Jesus and for Jesus on every one of our front lines. Well, let me pray uh, for us before we then stand and sing. Dear Father, we thank you for your gift to us of our new identities, that you make us new, that you call us to live in ways that are good and serve all people. And Father, pray that you would help us. Thank you that you promised to be with us, that you would cause us to know how much you love us, and that that would give us power from deep within to live for you. And we pray for us, each of us, in our different and difficult front lines, to live for Jesus, and for his name and his glory we ask. Amen.